This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Diaz and Tim Manichi. Jay, this week we're back with another one of our listener suggestion poll winners. This one was for August. Mm, yes. Not for September, yeah. which I thought for five minutes we were reviewing, but right. we're correct. We're, we're, we're knee deep in September and yeah, right. we're just getting to the August review. We're, we're getting to August and... Of course, Jay, we had a tie, which means we had to do a runoff. We had to do two runoffs. We did a runoff on, uh, well, it, it was getting close. So I opened it up on Patreon. Right. And we got a ton more votes. And it still ended in a tie. <laughs> and then I had to bring it to Facebook and open a whole new poll just with those two. We're going to utilize all of our social media accounts to break ties. <laughs> so next one will go to Twitter. Then we'll have an Instagram poll. Can you do polls on Instagram? I don't even know if you can do that. Maybe a Snapchat poll. Uh, I, I needed Bebo. more. Uh, People who still use Bebo. I needed more voters. We had, we had run out. Well, on we Patreon. got 80 votes on Facebook, which is not bad. Yeah. Um, you know, we could have used a few more. We have over a thousand people that supposedly like the page. So. You know, I understand, you know, what with Facebook's algorithms and whatnot, you might not have seen the post. <laughs> it's entirely possible that they, you know, took it out of your normal, you know, you got to you got to copy and paste that special message in order to see everybody's post. Jay, I don't know if you know that. Also, you have to forward it like a chain mail in order to receive good, you know, fortunes and future something whatever maybe if we posted from the ukraine or russia it would get ranked higher. oh it would definitely definitely <laughs> um so the winner of our poll which featured well i'll tell you who didn't win uh the spent poets by the spent poets uh treat her like a show cat by the seymours shame by brad which made the tie the buck pets by the buck pets aphrodisiac by the velt Horror Stories by the Dirty Three and Mighty Joe Moon by Grantley Buffalo. They did not win. Brad tied and then went to the runoff and lost to Mellow Gold by Beck. And that's what we're reviewing on this show. And several of those records got more comments than they got votes, which I don't understand. Yep. <laughs> like I thought Buck the was it the Buck Pets? Mm-hmm. I thought that was gonna do strong. I think it got like two votes. Yep, don't understand. It was other than the Seymours, which received no votes, the Buck Pets got the least amount of votes yep. at 3% of the original poll, which doesn't seem possible based on the fact that the number of people who commented. So over yeah. at Patreon, which is at patreon.com forward slash dig me out, we got comments on this poll. I'm going to get to the ones regarding Beck first. Patrick Testa said, mentioned a couple of the albums. He said, none of these even approach what I think Beck's what I think of Beck's Mellow Gold, not that others don't deserve to be dug out. I think Brad is pretty much in line with the podcast concept, but I think this might be the only chance to get Beck's Mellow Gold in there. On this record, there is some hit-making material 
but Beck is still very much bent from his early exper- extremely experimental music and paints his pop with outsider music brushstrokes better than anyone else. But alas, I also enjoy me some Dirty Three. Well, you got you got the pick there. You got Beck. Also mentioned with regards to Beck, Whitney Buehler. I don't know much about any of these, so I voted for Beck's Mellow Gold because it was the only one to get five out of five stars on all music. Figured, oh, God. Figured it would for certain. <laughs> couldn't suck that way. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, and then also, well, not in a positive way, Darren Leach said, Brad, for me, I still consider Beck's album a bit of a joke record. I don't know if it's a joke record. It's not Weird Al, but I can see what you're saying there. Johnny Hooper said, Mr. Beck Hansen, please. From Out of Virtual Obscurity, Mellow Gold was a striking introduction from the Boy Wonder Coffee House Slacker, the golden era of DGC Records. Will not disagree with you there. This was the golden era, 1994, for uh, DGC Records, the short run. Jim Lazowski says, tough call between Brad and Beck. We know. We know that. It was. For for this poll and the next one. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, on the Facebook poll, it was 56-44. So even there, it was tight. It was. I feel like Brad was winning at the beginning and then Beck like shot ahead, but maybe I was wrong in my recollection there. Uh, yeah, there was a moment there where Bra- uh, Brad was pulling ahead. We also got comments from Scott Witt, Keith Sawyer, Eric Peterson, Stephen Musinski. Thanks to everyone who commented over at Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash dig me out. So, Jay. And this, did you say this was suggested by Rory Stevens? Oh, I did not. Thank you for mentioning that yes. Rory was the one who suggested this record. Do you have Rory's comments? Rory said, besides the lead single, Loser, this album is very untraditional and way ahead or behind or both. It's time. Interesting. Let me ask you, Jay. Mm-hmm. Had you ever listened to this record before? I know you'd heard the single because you could not not hear the single. Yeah. Um, no, I hadn't. Have you listened to any Beck records all the way through? I don't think so. Okay. Maybe maybe something in the early 2000s. There was a couple of records he put out there that I might have just browsed to check out at the time. Okay. So you, I got Odelay when it came out because that was a huge record in 96. I did not get this record when it came out. I just liked the single. I thought I was catchy. We played it at the radio station. It was all over MTV and radio at the time. And I kind of, like most people, pro- probably thought that, okay, well, he's done. <laughs> What's he going to follow up with? You know, how is he going to follow that up? And then Odele came out with, you know, Devil's Haircut and Where It's At and New Pollution and like three strong singles. I was like, all right, I'm getting this record. So I ended up buying that record. It's the only record I've ever bought by Beck. I've listened to other records streaming specifically like 2002's Sea Change, which we'll come up and discussing this record a little bit, which is the album in which he takes like the very left turn of making like a folk record, essentially a very like intimate stripped down record. It's not all production based the way that this record and some of the ones after this would be. What's interesting is that when you go and you like look at his career, so if you go to like Wikipedia, this is described as Beck's official debut studio album but it's his third album overall Hmm. because he had released 
like lo-fi uh bedroom recording type records on indie labels before this which are super hard to actually get like the first record has only been pressed a couple thousand times which you know for an artist as successful as back over the years and having long career you would think that like all of his albums would be available for people to get their hands on but it, actually the first record's kind of tough to track down even after he scored this big single he still made another sort of lo-fi bedroom recording called one foot in the grave it came out the same year as this record so there wasn't like the anticipation that this was going to do anything massive dgc picked it up you know for whatever reason and put it out he was still making his like lo-fi, you know, experimental records of which there are like four that are up until 1994. But this record was actually only recorded on a track. It's not a, what you would think of as a traditional like studio record. It was recorded on like a home a track machine Hmm. and then, but then mixed and, and remixed in a larger studio. And I think some, you know, magic was rubbed on at that point in terms of the mix and whatnot. So let's get into uh, talking about this record. I don't think we need to get into back in terms of like history. I think Beck's yeah. fairly well known. Yep. So I'm not going to waste our time on, on uh, a major artist. That's pretty well known. And I know there was some like trepidation about people like, Hey, that's a pretty big record. Why are you doing a Beck record? It's what's what people suggest. Just put it out there. Yeah, we had plenty of other more obscure records to uh, to pick, and this is the one we went with. So right, what? this, this was... is where this is what the folks want us to talk about. Apparently, exactly. So let's talk about it. Jay Mellow Gold from 1994, Beck's first studio album. Tell me one thing you liked about Mellow Gold. Well, there's certainly an original sound on the record. Um, uh, you can really hear the sort of folk underpinnings of what he's doing on, on a lot of this. Obviously you've got the kind of rap style delivery on some of the songs, but some of the songs you don't, you know, you hear him sing mm-hmm. and you've got some blues elements. You've even got some metal, which I wasn't expecting. There's a couple of tunes on here that get kind of aggressive and heavy in, in their own way that that almost sound like metal songs and that was a side i wasn't expecting and despite all that you know it i think it is approached in this collage kind of aesthetic or method and largely that's what holds it together you know so i think he can explore a lot of different ideas and sounds and um you know you've got sitar on here and slide guitar and electric guitar and all kinds of keyboards and live drums and drum loops and all this mishmash of different things. But I think the kind of the copy paste collage approach to it is what makes it all cohesive. Um, So I I do think it, it holds together pretty well despite all the diverse ingredients here as when it came out, it didn't really sound like anybody else. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of other, artists have tried this sort of thing since then. So I don't know if it is still incredibly original, but um, it certainly puts together elements for at the time that had really never been put together before uh, in this way. So I think for that it's, it's notable and, and uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 
interesting when I went through and listened to this record, I started to think about when we've talked about what defines the nineties and in going through this record, like I kind of feel like this record and even more so than Odele because of its Odele is more refined. Like this is like to me a definitive document of what the nineties were. There's so mm. much of what the nineties sort of encapsulates that's in this record. You have a very strong influence of the beastie boys, um, specifically the check your head and Paul's boutique era beastie boys with the samples and the, not just the samples, but the sampling of live instruments being used and a, a technique that they used, which on like a song, like, so what you want, which is the distorted vocal, mm-hmm. uh, which became very in vogue in the nineties. the sort of deconstructed blues that like John Spencer was doing that traces all the way back to like the psychedelic sixties with, you know, people like captain Beefheart and some other artists of that era that were, were taking like Delta blues and, and applying psychedelic aspects to them. And then you have, you know, just these touches of country and folk um, that, it just hits on everything in the way that like maybe a few artists would individually, but nobody would do it across an entire record. And that was what was most impressive to me is that um, he's able to unify it. Now I don't love every song on here that he's sort of drawing from, but there it's so unified in terms of his voice and his, his vision that it's just fun to like sort of listen to it and hear the ways that this was obviously both a, a huge influence on the 90s of bands that would come later but then him also taking like like I said like the Beastie Boys and some other stuff that would you know define that era what was also cool was to hear like the very early nuggets of what he would show later obviously loser being the single and a, and a super catchy and totally original for that period that would be get refined into multiple ways you know on both Odelay and then the follow-up records like um midnight vultures and and some other ones but what i heard also was in songs like pain o mind which is kind of a uh bipolar song for me because the chorus of that song 
when he's actually singing the pay no mind hook is very reminiscent of sea change from 2002 when he went like just straight folk very introspective not doing ironic sort of like you know william burroughs-esque cut and paste lyrics and like this sort of beat poetry style lyric that that album is very much in a singer songwriter style and that chorus and then i also got that vibe on on somewhat on nightmare hippie chick they're really cool cool songs to hear knowing where his career was going to go and hearing him sort of getting there on this record but not quite yet like he couldn't quite get to that point but it was just nice to hear it but then the other part of that is the verses of pay no mind I don't know if have you seen Walk Hard Jay, the movie with uh John C. Riley? Yeah. So yep. remember when John when when Dewey Cox goes through his Bob Dylan phase and he's like singing these songs that are just like these like nonsensical lyrics? <laughs> That's what the verses of Pain No Mind sound like. It sounds yeah. like Dewey Cox singing. <laughs> <laughs> so in some respects, the song works for me, and in other respects it sounds ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't work for me. Yeah. But then you take a song like beer can, which I feel like that set up as much as loser. That was the second single off this record. Yeah. And I feel like listening to that song, I'm like, Oh, I get where the fun loving criminals were coming from or G love and special sauce. And like that totally fits that vibe that like, uh, you know, sort of chill vocal, it's sort yep. of hip hop, but it's kind of also like beat poet, but it's very yeah. like poppy in a way yep. that none of this other record is. And they were singing like this. Why no It was fun to hear that because, you know, I feel like his he refined himself after this record and he sort of made records in very specific ways. You know, Odele is a, is done with the Dust Brothers, and it's very indebted to Paul's Boutique in that way. There's tons of samples, and and then he went super folky on Sea Change, and he would do. Now he's doing like extreme pop music on the most re- recent record, Colors, and he sort of bounces around from you know sort of doing the doing entire records in the same style, whereas this is just like all over the place very very embryonic in in the way of like figuring out where his career would go so it's it's neat to hear that not that everything works especially well as songs yeah. but it's still cool to hear him not hitting the points that he would later on so there was a lot to like listen to in this record and having listened to enough of his later stuff to really enjoy just the beginnings of things yeah i could see that yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a, um, I don't know, there's parts of this that are in, in its lyrics, and sometimes it's just the ideas for the songs that are a little juvenile. Yeah, it's like this 
conflict going on between somebody who's got who spent some time understanding and appreciating and playing folk music. And then there's this like juxtaposition with BC or, you know, early Beastie Boyle style, like obnoxious adolescent, you know, ideas on here or attitude. And, you know, I could see like, as he moves forward, the, the Beastie Boys kind of stuff maybe starts to, fade away as it did for them too. They, right. And they changed as artists and it starts to make a little bit more sense. But I, I think that's where I struggle with on the record is the, uh, is putting those two, two things together. Sometimes it makes you question one or the other, you know, it's like, are we here to have fun and not take anything seriously or are we making fun of folk music or, Oh, he was definitely, I mean, those early records that are, lo-fi and whatnot they're described as anti-folk records like okay. he is trying to deconstruct folk music and make experimental lo-fi yeah. music that is very anti-folk um which is not a, a scene that i entirely understand maybe we need to do a round table on it <laughs> um yeah i it was i don't know it seems so irrelevant to the 90s until now I mean, because I don't understand, like, you know, when I look when I looked up anti-folk, like what exactly that meant, I think it's basically like mocking the sort of pretension of folk is what it's. Well, yeah, but I, I'm uh, I think I think what I'm reacting to is like. Before 94, I don't was there any folk like on the radar? I mean, I'm sure that, you know, obviously there were artists, but it wasn't like. You can make the argument like in the mid to late 90s, we had a bit of a, a folky kind of thing happen. There were some artists that, that right, um, especially female artists, that started to come out with, with hits and stuff and that were in that vein. But to be anti-folk in 94, I don't know who you were being anti of. Right. Like James Taylor? Like what? <laughs> who are they rebelling against? Yeah, I don't know. Responding to. We need an we need an explanation on who they were rebelling against exactly because it, it's not clear to me. And doesn't this this album to you have I don't know to me it sounds like more like New York City than Los Angeles. Well, he moved from New York City to Los Angeles. Okay. At some point, so. Okay, because just at, at a high level, he's 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 mentioned as being a Los Angeles artist. Right. Well, but I think that's just, because that's where he's. I believe that's where he's from. He's from a musical family, if I believe. Uh-huh. Uh, his dad is David uh, Campbell, who is a arranger, composer, conductor. Worked on like I guess hundreds of records. And um, his mom grew up in Andy Warhol's factory art scene. I got some folk records from the early nineties. Do you? Give you a flavor. Okay. Uncle Tupelo. Okay. Allison Cross, 91. Okay. John John Gorka, 91. Suzanne Vega, 92. Sean Colvin, 92, who later had a hit in the 90s. Michelle Schacht, 94. Looking for albums that would have been before him. Oh, remember Dan Byrne? Mm-hmm. Uh... That's it. So that gives you a flavor, I guess, of what, gotcha. was, what was considered folk 
bluegrass or alt country. Yeah, he he moved around a lot as a kid. It sounds like he left where his parents were living and moved out to his grandparents in uh, Kansas for a mm-hmm. while, and then ended up in New York. And so it makes sense that there, yeah, there's definitely a vibe of New York hip hop that permeates a lot of this record. And of course, being indebted to the Beastie Boys helps with that sound being a New York band. I mean, if you would have wrote this as a response to Rusted Root, I totally get it. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> that needed a response. It did. Somebody had to respond to that. I mean, we just can't let that stand. But this record was made when he had moved back from wherever to L.A. So okay. and that's how he he got there was a there's a record label in L.A. called Bong Load, which I believe put out one of the folk records that he did. Um, so, um, so I guess that explains some of the some of the collage moving around. Yeah. Moving on different coasts. OK, sure. Artistic family. So I'm guessing that this record does not work all the way through for you. No, I mean, the thing I kept wondering is who goes back to this record? Like, I think as a one time listen, it was fine. There were some things going right. on that were kind of cool. And mm-hmm. I think for you, knowing his later work, you know, it sounds like it was compelling to, to connect those dots. But the whole time I'm listening to him, I'm just wondering, like, why would it, why would anyone feel the need to go back and listen to this again or a lot? Like, you kind of hear it and you get it and. I don't know what's compelling about it on repeated listens other than the novelty of how putting the different styles together and the production and how he did that. I guess there was just nothing here that emotionally grabbed me, you know? I concur with you. I don't think that this works as a cohesive record in the way that Odele does or anything that follows after that. It's just too, it's too haphazard and it's while there are, little bits and pieces that will show up as more fleshed out ideas in the future. It's still so, I mean, you take a song like truck driving neighbors downstairs. Like I don't ever need to hear that song again. Right. (laughs) That's funny. Cause I think that's when I made the note. Uh, was when I was listening to that song. I'm like, whoever needs to go back and hear this again. Like, okay, you are playing around with all these different sounds and you're doing stuff and, you know, experimenting with an 8-track and what have you. Good on you. But it doesn't make for necessarily a... You know what that makes for? When you're in a dorm room and you're high. Yep. (laughs) You'll put that on at like 4 o'clock in the morning. Yep. Okay, I get that. And it'll be like a, a fun in joke song that like you and your friends will have. Yeah. I had that with, well, not the high aspect, but I had that with like on Pearl Jam's Vitology, 
my uh-huh. roommate and I were night guards and we would work until like four o'clock in the morning and we would get back and we would be all wired because we were drinking like Mountain Dews and we would put on Bugs by Pearl Jam's Vitology or that's on Pearl Jam and we would like blast that to piss off to like we knew we were going to piss off our roommates yeah and we would just put it on and like just shut the door and lock the door and, and crank Bugs at like four o'clock in the morning it was just like it was just a stupid thing that like a 19 year old kid does when they're in yeah. college that's what this song <laughs> is essentially and there's yeah. a couple more like that um i feel like this is a, this is a, a song or this is an album of like two halves you take songs like loser and i think soul sucking jerk and beer can and nightmare hippie chick, hippie chick i liked Maybe even Sweet Sunshine. Those are those are all to me like solid tracks. That, and then then and you have like Black Hole, which sounds like Zeppelin. Yeah, I dug that. that yeah, song. That was, it's a cool um, closer. A little too long, but yeah, I like the sound of it. And those songs that I mentioned, they kind of work. Um, even fucking with my head kind of works because um, it's it actually has a good hook. Yeah. Um, but there's, sounds a little sounds a little Ray Charlesy for some reason to me. And there's like some kind of there's a hook in that song that is another song. It's one of those you hear it, and you're like, ah, that sounds like something, and I can't quite put my finger on it. And the closest I could come to was a Ray Charles song. There's definitely like a bluesy thing right. going on, right? But no, this does not work. In retrospect, it does not work as a as a full record. I think at the time when this came out, if I had listened to this and was a little more open-minded at the time, I would have been like, oh my gosh, like, what is this? This yeah. is insane. I've never heard anything like this. And then I would have been anticipating Odelay as opposed to being surprised by it because I think Odelay delivers on this as a whole record. I feel like, and I listen to Odelay again, like that record is solid all the way through. Every song yeah. is like yeah. really interesting. And well, and it helps that he had the Dust Brothers with the production um adding layers of sounds and whatnot but again it's it's beck's vision of making that all happen and for better or worse he would sort of you know riff on that for the rest of his career sometimes more derivative than other times you can hear the understanding of like songwriting too here even though a lot of these are loop based or you know collage um you know he does things like i mean in loser um the first verse has that sitar in it, and the second one doesn't. It's like a more of a drum break feel. Yep. And, you know, there's some other ones where the, you know, the second verse does something interesting or, you know, the, there's a cool pre-chorus. And, like, the songs are structured in a in a way that, one, it makes, you, makes the looping, like, forgiving. You know, there's enough variety he introduces where you don't it doesn't become mundane and while the songs don't totally work some of them are a little too well we already went through it but um there's still an appreciation there of how to right of craft like how to write a song yep so we don't need to cover uh why this wasn't more successful because it it was yeah um and in, in, in reality loser is probably one of the definitive singles of the 90s so uh, it's actually the opposite end of the spectrum for what we usually talk about. So let's just talk about JR ratings. Were the album better EP, decent single? Well, for, first I want to I want to mention something that that you'll find 
potentially hilarious. Okay. So the first time I heard Loser on the radio, I thought the vocal was Ace Frehley. <laughs> what? Because I had no idea. I mean, it was the first time I ever heard it. I mean, think about it. It's 1984. You have never heard anything like this. I turn on the radio and this song is on and I'm like, what in the hell is this? Is this, like, this back guy in is... the New York Groove Part 2? Well, I was like, this guy sings like Ace Frehley, like in that spoken, yep. you know, New York drunken kind of sounding rock soldiers. vocal delivery. Well, like go listen to go listen to uh, Back in New York Groove. Like that kind of yep. listen to the verses of that. And I'm like, is did and Kiss was kind of like emerging as like the you know, all the bands would start mentioning how they love Kiss. I mean, even Nirvana was covering Kiss at the time. And so I was like, did somebody like do a song and like have an Ace Fraley sing on it or something? Like, what the fuck is this? And how do they get him to rap? And <laughs> like you know, get, I mean, it was just during the first time I ever heard it. And by the time I get to the end, you know, they're like, oh, that was back. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. Well, I never thought like that vocal style would be like on the radio. So it it was <laughs> confusing for me the first time Why I heard it. Why did Ace Freely say, get crazy <laughs> with the cheese whiz? What does that mean? Uh, That's hilarious. Man, before the internet, you just heard stuff and. Guessed. You just made it up in your head. Yep. <laughs> um, that being said. Yeah. I, I guess I'm in an EP. I'm definitely not on an album. I'm really debating whether I'm a single or an EP on this record. Um, I'll, I'll give it an EP. You know, Loser, I like Black Hole. I like Sweet Sunshine, which is kind of a the more uh, probably the most aggressive or second most aggressive song beer can mm-hmm. pain no mind um i think those are make a pretty decent ep i think the rest of it is either a version of those songs but not as good or just throw away you know experiments and goofy novelty songs i agree with you I, i'm more at an ep than anything and i i listed those songs earlier that i liked i think the songs that work well work and the ones that don't are are total album fillers and it's just uh like you said it's not something i would consciously want to go back and listen to as a whole there's a couple songs i would want to listen to but not the entire thing with whereas with some of these other records they're definitely worth an entire listen so that's two eps for beck's mellow gold need to thank our patrons and thank Rory for suggesting this record. Uh, Jay, where can people go if they want to suggest a record for us? Yeah, just go to digmeout.com and I'm sorry, digmeoutpodcast.com and either in the footer or on the homepage, you can scroll down. There's a form you can go to and submit a record that you want us to review. Um, it'll go into a monthly poll and if it's picked, boom, you'll get to hear us talk about it. And we're a little backed up. Excuse us if we don't get to those uh, polls for a current suggestion until 2019. We've got a lot of yeah records to get to. Yep, we're doing eight a month, and that we're that still has us um, booked into uh, into 2019. So yep, be patient with us. We'll get there. It's already September. We're three quarters or some percentage done with the year. That's more than and half. Yep. And if you uh, would like to vote, it only costs you a buck at Patreon. That's so right. you can jump over there and 
cast your vote. Um, and uh, we've been known to take a second place finisher and, and go ahead and do an episode two. We did that mm-hmm. we have. a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. Whenever we're looking for a some uh, an at what do they call it um, at large an at large pick. Right. We don't have a lot of open slots during the year anymore. So when we do rarely get one, we might put it towards that. Might be an interview. Might be something else. But it might be one of our second place finishers uh, with a review. So that's patreon.com forward slash dig me out. And you can leave us some positive feedback if you enjoy this episode and others over at iTunes. That's it. So for Jay, I'm Tim, and we're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com.